Frank, it's that time of the year where we talk about one of your blog posts. Oh, that time of the year? That's only once a year. Yeah, I guess I only do blog about once a year. <laughs> I, feel I try, it, though. Yeah, I feel as since you only blog on rare occasions, it's usually something of vast importance. And it's oh. something that we need to talk about because they're very well written. Let me toot your horn again. This is going to be a theme. I love uh, this. They're very well-written blog posts. They're very well thought out. You mm. usually put in uh, too long, didn't read in the beginning. And <laughs> you put very nice photos, nice gifts. You have very well, you know, your headers are really thought out. And in fact, they are um, of things that we talk about all the time. And we talked about the desktop bridge. We talked about we, we talked about WASM. We talked about what else did we talk about in this thing? Oh, Calca. No, I don't know. <laughs> we sure. talked about Fugit, right? So these are things, I mean, it's just like my blog. I think on my blog too, I blog about maybe more specific code specific questions, but every once in a while, I get into some really interesting topics like creating, mm -hmm. you know, VSTS extensions or VS code or things that we're doing. So I think, wow, you know, it's just a blog and people just say, oh, it's just one of those blogs. I think it's of vast importance because you're doing such unique things that uh, people need to know about it, Frank. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Uh, horn tooted. I appreciate it. But I think um, what I'm realizing, too, is that's the difference between Twitter and blogging. So I was looking back through some old, old blog stuff, stuff you can only find on the Wayback Machine. And I realized I was basically using blogging as Twitter. So I had like all these terrible emotional tweets, <laughs> tweets, I call them tweets, but they were blog entries. They were on Blogspot. And I think nowadays what I've realized is all those like short-term thoughts, that, that all goes on Twitter. But if I've actually accomplished something that I'm a little bit proud of and I actually want people to take a look at it, I think the blog entry is definitely the way to go for that. It It is. And I, you know, I think it allows me to be more... I don't know, creative with my words because it's long form. I take time. I put energy into it. Sometimes I record videos or GIFs. Uh, often I'm I'm sometimes just thinking through a process. This is something I find really uh, ri rich and enriching about actually blogging itself is that I can go into a blog and think of a topic and then a whole bunch of other things kind of sprawl off of it. Like, why mm -hmm. didn't I do it this way? Or why did I do it this way? I've recently wrote a blog, uh, just actually someone asked me a question on Twitter and I pointed them to some documentation and how to do this thing, but I can only put so much in 280 characters where really if one person is asking me, many people are asking me. And in fact, it's probably something that I already did. So why not share it with the world in a much richer way? And it really lets you set up. It's almost like a short story. I have this the, the opening, right? The why did you do this? Then you have this in between, which is how you're solving it. And then you have this conclusion. And I, and I love that storytelling aspect, even if it's really code driven. Yeah, that's hilarious because I was trying to interrupt you and say the reason blogs are great is because you can write the narrative. You can tell the story. I think all good projects deserve a little bit of a story because it's never like I had this great idea and then I implemented it and it worked. And here's a blog article about that. I don't like that. I like to hear like, what was the problem trying to be solved? What were other ideas you had during it? What went well? What went bad? You know, I, I love that like narrative part of what a blog entry can be. So I used to love writing just technical 
papers from college, you know, old uh, electrical engineering kind of stuff. But I think um, I like the blend of the two. So like a technical article, but still with a fun little narrative to it. And so I try to put that into everything, or at least I'm trying nowadays. Don't don't read my past entries. They're terrible. No, I mean, I used to be that way. I've been blogging for, how old am I, 32. So I've been blogging for about 20 years. Mm, and nice. uh, I mentioned I used to make my own custom you know, websites and HTML, and I used to design them in Photoshop. And mm-hmm. I was I was like you early on where there was no Twitter. So I used blogging as a Twitter in a way yeah. to get out my dailies, and I would have eventually evolved into a longer medium but I actually appreciate your blog post a little bit more than my blog post, not to belittle my own blog posts, mm-hmm. because your blog posts, while they're not as often, they really tell a unique story. So when I saw that you tweeted, I think last week or the week before, of how you introduced a neural network into Continuous, which is your .NET IDE, to solve code prediction... I really appreciated it because you not only took the time to describe like what the heck this continuous thing is, like what did you have previously, what did you learn over a year, um, and then how did you go about actually solving it uh, by building a mm-hmm. neural network to do code predictions to create a better application. That's something that everyone is really focused on. You go to Google IO, you go to DubDub, you go to build and everyone's talking about AI and machine learning. And we talk about it like every other week, we're always (laughs) talking about it, but where is the applied science? Where am I, James Montemagno, software engineer, building a mobile application, actually supposed to apply this into the day and day. And then when I read this blog post, it kind of opened up my eyes to say, oh, wow, like I could actually build this. I mean, I don't know if I could actually build this, but I could apply what Frank is telling me into some other form factor into my application and maybe do things a little bit better. You know, I was, I started to think, you know, I had this little scoreboard application. What if I could predict Mm -hmm. based off the game type and the scores that were entered based off the player recommendations for common scores that may be coming up? Like, yeah, I could do Mm -hmm. that. Right. And and I could (laughs) learn. I could anticipate what they may be getting. I, I, I thought about it only because of your blog post. It blew my mind. I would love to see it say, you have a 10% chance of winning. Ha ha. Don't tell me the odds, 3PO. Well, yeah. Um, so I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there where um, I always wonder if we're in a bubble. I mean, you're always in a bubble, but like how big is our bubble? Are we deceiving ourselves? Are our neural networks just a silly thing we're all obsessing over right now? Or are they actually useful? And I think like all my learning over the past year keeps telling me these things are useful. They solve problems that we couldn't solve before. But I still also kept running into the problem of, but where do they fit in my apps? <laughs> like, you know, uh, how does iCircuit take advantage of a neural network? You know, things like that. And I, I just couldn't come up with um, good use cases. So I think I, I had the same, like, uh, somewhat mental block, not to go too far in what you said, but you just couldn't imagine use cases. I, I had the same problem. And so that's when um, this little problem that I've thought about a lot in continuous uh, code prediction, I realized that, oh, this is actually a somewhat trivial problem for these neural networks to solve. And we're finally here. And I, um, what iOS eight, nine, 10, 11. Can you remind me which one got core ML? 
iOS 10? 10. iOS 10, I want to say. 10, yeah. I'm going to look it up right the... here. <laughs> I, um, it might even be 9, because I remember now I was putting some checks in. Uh, whatever. So we're, we're finally at this point where <laughs> um, these little experiments, these little toys are actually easy to integrate into the apps. And so it's just like, okay, got to push my imagination and figure out how to use them. So what was the actual problem? I mean, I kind of set it up a little bit. Can you go into details mm-hmm. of a little bit deeper into what was the problem yeah. and then why did you solve it this way? That's what I'm curious about. Like, was there, was there other ways potentially that you could have, you know, solved it without building an entire neural network? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, so what I'm trying to do is a pretty refined case of anticipate what the next key that someone wants to type is going to be or the next keyword while they're editing C-sharp code. So if you type um, if and then a space, chances are you're going to want a left parenthesis. No one types if without getting a left parenthesis next. And so ideally, that would pop up and the left parenthesis would be easy for you to hit with your hand. And the problem, the reason I want this is the keyboard on the iPad is kind of limited. And so we need to do clever things to kind of ease the pain of the limited keyboard. Um, no one likes hitting shift and going to the alternate keyboard modes. It's a pain. You have to look down. It breaks your flow, everything. So I wanted a keyboard predictor. So you weren't trying to solve, I'm going to help you write better code, or I'm going to refactor <laughs> your code. I'm literally just going to help you be more productive on this limited device, which only has, what, uh, 36 keys or something like that on the, the digital yeah, keyboard? Yeah, is that what I said? I counted them. I had to count it twice to make sure I got it right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, 36 on screen, 64 on the hardware keyboard that you can buy. So that's uh, right. compared to 108 on a full keyboard. Does a vast difference. Uh, and I even think about it, you know, when I'm doing coding, I'm often doing lambdas, for instance, curly braces. You're right. So if I do an if statement, probably when I do a return yeah. or when I close it, I probably want to do a return and then I probably want to do a curly brace. Probably what I yeah. want to do. So. <laughs> yeah. And it's um, just for technical reasons and usability reasons, it's separate from the code completion engine. So the code completion is like I start typing an identifier like ST. And that's the part that's going to say, did you mean string? Did you mean all these other things? And that's kind of a easier problem honestly you're just looking through a database of all the symbols you know and just kind of ordering them so that people can read them well this uh problem of showing the right key that you want to hit next is a bit harder because it's very context aware and it usually has no preceding stuff to to go by there's no st you know there's no partial identifier that it can interpret it's just there it knows you want to type something and it's going to try to guess what you type and so the same network, if you think about it, could just generate code all day long, but I'm not asking it to do that. I'm just asking it to figure out what the next thing you want to type is. So is that, is that because, is, is that a limitation in some aspect? Like was, did that, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that something that you're interested in maybe potentially solving? Or do you think that that would actually bog down the machine while it's typing because that has to be somewhat intense. I mean, that's the thing with machine learning. I assume it's every single keystroke you're trying to analyze all this. So how do, how do you create something that doesn't actually bog down the experience? 
you know, there's so many wonderful ways to cheat with neural networks. Just a side tangent here, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the neural network I decided to use is um, um, it, it takes an input, produces an output, takes an input, produces an output. So if you want to predict five ahead, you got to run it five times. Google had the same problem with a network they created called WaveNet. And this is the network that does their um, voice synthesis for all your Google Homes and all your Android devices. But they had this problem of it just wasn't very fast. So what they did was they trained a simpler neural network based on the more complicated neural network. So a funny thing with these is even if you train a big network that's kind of hard and kind of slow, you can usually train a simpler network that just kind of roughly approximates that network. So it's kind of fun that they kind of gracefully degrade. So I wasn't ever too worried about performance so much. Aside from this is my first product that's ever had a neural network on it, and I don't want to, I don't want it to look bad, so I chose really conservative numbers for everything. It's a small network; it runs very fast, even on old hardware. Uh, so I tried not to think about that. Now, did you did you have concerns too of putting in this neural network? Because I know that continuous is rather large of an application. Uh, <laughs> was there cons- consideration? That goes into because obviously Core ML two is not out yet, and I know they're going to do a whole bunch of um, shrinking of the Core ML model. So, is this also something that, based on the the neural network and and the model that you created, or was that a concern going in, like even before you started? Like, did you proto? Like, I'm curious. Like, was there a way to yeah. prototype like how big this puppy would be before you actually put it in the app? Oh, yeah. All through the design of the neural network, you're always aware of how big it is because that affects so many things, how quickly it trains, well, how quickly it trains and, you know, the file size on disk. It's, it's pretty evident how big these things are. And just from my experience running Apple's um, off-the-shelf networks, I had a rough idea how big they were. You know, one was a megabyte, one was 10 megabytes, another was 100 megabytes. And this seems weird to measure the complexity of a neural network and the file size of its model, but it roughly works out that way. And um, so all through the design process, you know how big it's going to be. And so I just set an arbitrary size, a maximum size for myself, not really based on anything other than kind of like gut instinct of like, this is a pretty simple problem. It shouldn't get any bigger than this. Uh, and I, I think, unfortunately, that's the kind of stuff you learn only after you've studied <laughs> them for a little bit of time. Very interesting. And so so that means it didn't bloat your app size completely then? No. Yeah. Um, so I think I settled on about 200 kilobytes. I'm actually still playing with trainings of it. So, But 200 kilobytes is what I'm looking at now. But if you look at your app, your icon is 200 kilobytes. So that's not really a big deal. That's pretty tiny. <laughs> that's actually... So, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It was probably interesting. It was really you know, different about this model compared to what I think a normal model, you know, what I think is just images, 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 yeah. images, images, and they have a bunch of exactly. image data in them, but this is just text. It's so small. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not even text. It's even simpler than that. It's just a binary bit fields is how this thing works. Uh-huh. And it's, it's all floating point, but it's binary uh, the way it calculates things. Yeah. So, uh, you can do, yeah, <laughs> Image ones are big because images are a hard problem, but neural networks turns out if they can solve hard problems, they're really good at solving easy problems too. So it's, um, I think that's kind of the mind opening part is if I can, if we can as a community, if I can on my own, um, 
ease the transition between the programmatic C-sharp, F-sharp world into using neural networks and figuring out quick ways to train them and build new ones and that kind of stuff. I think that's when the big revolution will happen. We'll see if the bubble bursts before we get to that point and we have to wait for the second bubble. But I'm, I'm hoping that we'll always blend these lines because simple networks actually work very well. I like that. Well, I want to learn how you actually went in and trained this model because I don't know how that all works or if you're continuously training. <laughs> but let's just take a uh, quick break here, Frank, and thank our sponsor this week, Syncfusion. You know Syncfusion. You love Syncfusion because they make amazing charts, graphs, controls, dashboards for every single platform possibly imagining. Out there, you have ASP.NET, Angular, React, Vue, JavaScript, Xamarin, UWP, mobile, web, desktop, they support it all. They have over 800 components and controls that you can easily integrate into any of these platforms. What I love about it is that when I need something, Syncfusion's there. Whether I need a brand new chart, a Kanban board, a spark line, a sunburst chart, a tree map, a calendar, a checkbox, they have it all for me. They not only have these great charts and graphs, but they have a really deep and rich dashboard that you can go in, tie it up to any data source, and visualize any of your data for all of your managers that love charts and graphs and all that good stuff. What's also nice is that they don't just support, you know, out-of-the-box charts and graphs. They also have support for rich file formats. So if you need to integrate Excel, PDF, Word, or PowerPoint, you can easily integrate those into your application. Get a PDF viewer, XML, read, write, all that great things. The next thing that I love about Syncfusion is that they have a free community edition. So if you're working out there in a small team and a startup, you can get all of the Syncfusion things for free, which is great. So where do you go to learn more? Well, you go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. That's it. Go download the free trial. Get started right now today at syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. And thanks Syncfusion for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. Thank you, Syncfusion. I love our sponsors. I love <sighs> sponsors that make awesome things. I just want to drag and drop an app. Just put all the controls on a screen. Drag and, drag and drop a neural network. Just drag and drop a neural network. <laughs> Here's a neural network. Here's a neural Ooh. network. So when will Syncfusion have a control for me? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. And I want this neural network and that neural network and this training model. Exactly. And that so <laughs> now did you... Because here's the problem that here's the I was thinking when I read your blog post. Here's and I want you to demystify this a little bit for me, because you created this model. And you're training some data. Everybody codes different, Frank, and mm. and how are you able to train this model? Because maybe I don't code like Frank. Maybe I code a little <laughs> bit different. So how did you actually go about to get the data to put into this? Like, are is it actually running while we're building the application? So does it continuously learn? Or is it just a set uh, of data? No. So uh, we'll answer the easy one first. <laughs> it's not learning while it's running. So whatever I ship with the app, that's what you get. Um, I don't, I've never tried actually training on the device. I wonder if it can be done. Uh, the libraries are a little funny and all that. It's something to look into. Actually learning on device, that'd be a cool advancement in the future. Oh, boy. But the other problem, man, <laughs> we call that biases in neural networks. Mm. Can you imagine? It's such a big problem for all neural networks because it learns the input data. And if your input data is biased, well, guess what? It's a biased network. So I think every data scientist has to take a step back and do some self-reflection. So what biases do you think could be in the data? 
Well, so the bias here is probably that you are a Mac user. You're an <laughs> F sharp primarily developer. Uh, you, I don't know, maybe tabs versus spaces, maybe. There you go. That's better. Curly braces versus you know, like uh-huh. non curly braces. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, underscores. underscores, underscores, naming, mm-hmm. uh, uppercase, camel case, Pascal case. Uh, essentially it gets those actually oh. .NET programmers are pretty good yeah we're, we're all pretty consistent there you could probably follow the c-sharp guidelines of coding that most people would follow but doesn't mean that everyone's going to do it i would think auto properties like gets and sets versus you know yeah, different versions yeah, of c-sharp yeah. mm. Ooh, private mm-hmm. versus not a private or public maybe yeah. different things there oh capital string versus lowercase string i don't know if those things are in there but yeah <laughs> uh, things like that maybe i don't know uh, yep yep you actually you got one that uh scares me a lot is the c-sharp version one because i trained on a lot of code but it was older code you know i actually prefer the c-sharp 7 style of coding mm-hmm. where we use lots of auto properties expression uh expression members all that stuff so definitely uh that bias is there you forgot a, fu- a few other ones that are were quite hilarious when i was first training this uh comments when do you admit a comment? Oh. What does the comment say? <laughs> so it was hilarious because at that point, it's just making up words, but it had to learn English at the same time it was learning C sharp because it was trying to generate doc comments too. Oh. It learned that, oh, some functions actually get doc comments. So it put summary, this blah, 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 blah. But its memory was never good. So the doc comment never really matched up with the function it was creating. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, but every one of those biases you mentioned, I had to deal with. And the way I deal with it, dealt with it, <laughs> is I simplified the input. So instead of feeding the network every character of your code, you know, left parenthesis, the letter A, right parenthesis, whatever. Mm -hmm. Instead, it sends the Roslyn symbol type or token type, actually, in this case. So that's roughly like left left uh, curly, right curly. But for all identifiers, the, the text isn't there. It's just known as an identifier, not the actual name, nothing. So it doesn't learn anything about naming. All white space is thrown out. All comments are thrown out. So it, no, it doesn't know anything about formatting or any of that stuff. It's literally looking at what is the most probable next token in the stream to come. Hmm. That's that's actually a really interesting way of thinking about it, especially on the the comment side of of it, because comments are tricky because you could do double slash, you could do slash star, mm-hmm. you could do full <laughs> XML comments, you could do a whole bunch of craziness. So you're not looking. So is it like you're not looking at the code? You're looking at like what's underneath the code and in a layman's term? Yeah, or maybe like looking at the code with squinty eyes you know where like all the numbers just become eh, one-ish all the strings become empty strings all identifiers become the letter x so like the shape of the code is there it knows if statements are followed by left parenthesis and then a right parenthesis and then a curly brace it knows all that but it doesn't know variable names and it doesn't know white space it's as if you obfuscated and minified mm-hmm. the c-sharp code or f-sharp code to be nailed it just the structure of of it not what it actually is yeah you got it you got ah, it clever. but that is essentially what it is except for all the variable names you lose that mm. so i am tempted to uh train up a version that does 
try to do a little better, a little bit better of a job with variable names, but you can imagine it's a lot for the network to learn. And I am keeping it artificially small for now because I want it to be fast and, you know, don't want to weigh it down. But, you know, (laughs) training these things can be hard too. So even with that simplified data set, I would still produce, um, what do they call it? I'm trying to remember real big scientific words. They call it non-converging. That means it was learning for a little while, but then all of a sudden just got terrible, just oh. blew up, fell apart. <laughs> it's a real problem when you're training these things. And so uh, there's so many knobs to turn. Like Even though I decided on the architecture of the network, I decided on the data input, there's still a million little knobs to turn. And some of those positions created non-convergent networks other ones created slow networks too big a networks it's it's a long terribly tedious process the training part and i think that's why the future is going to be all us buying neural networks off the shelf no one wants to do this you really want the unity asset store for neural networks 100 percent. first person to open that store and make it successful wins yeah, or are you able to use and leverage the power of your iMac Pro to act to <laughs> to develop and to develop and train in real time? Like, was that a cool? Were you able to do that? Why, yes, James, I was. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Anytime I can brag about the iMac mm-hmm. it makes me happy. Um, not real time though. No. Um, every time I would change a parameter, it would take five minutes to retrain it, and that was on five hundred thousand uh tokens so not characters more like two million characters but about five hundred thousand tokens and then we learned that in about five minutes and for the ones that did converge it would plateau at a certain quality level and a certain accuracy they called it and um that was that that was that (laughs) no no so i tried on the cpu it was much slower. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it was definitely over 30 minutes. In fact, I'm thinking about writing a blog post to compare all the pieces of hardware. You know, the worst kind of blog post that ages super quickly, but I just kind of want to write because I'm interested. You know what you need is the external GPUs and just see like if you can, you know, plug in the external GPU to your iMac Pro and then see if it reduces it down. Because how amazing... Well, James. Whoa. Did it happen? Well, James, yeah, yeah. Um, I went a little far on this boondoggle, and I got the external GPU because I was also curious. I did not even know this. I did not even realize. I must have missed that in the blog post, if that's a thing. I didn't want to admit to it because it's a little embarrassing. But do you want to know the shocker? After all this money spent, all the external GPUs purchased and acquired and plugged in, it was slower than the built-in GPU. I know. Wow. Can it not do both GPUs at the same time? Now it can. And the problem there is we all use pretty primitive libraries for this stuff. Um, Unfortunately, that world is run by academics, and they're not so much into software engineering. So (laughs) everything's kind of pathetic. And so unfortunately, I'm writing, I, I call it clustering software, but it's the most rudimentary basic clustering where on a single device, it'll use multiple GPUs and go out to multiple devices if, if it can. But that's all custom software. It's such an ugly, terrible world. It's the problem of multi-cores. When I worked at Canon, we were attempting to do image processing on multiple cores for mm-hmm. PDF file format to rasterize it, to print it on these huge uh, reprographer printers, like these huge on their size of the room, right? They're ginormous. And they, they, it was so, com- it's like so complicated 
to try to rasterize, get it, put it together and do all of it. So as kind of GPUs and stuff got faster, we're just like, eh, it's good enough (laughs) type of thing. But it was like such a great idea to be able to say, oh, you have multiple cores or maybe multiple GPUs. You could just offload this. And then you got to be pretty good at that type of development. I know you're good, uh, Frank, at at everything. But uh, I could understand why that's maybe why it's not baked in because how often is it that you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to plug in an extra GPU right here. And in fact, for mac software i know there's developers that are uh in software that are you know have to do custom code to opt into that it's not like it just get it for free mm-hmm. so you got to code that in there hmm. interesting yeah and, and we are uh i i like having local hardware but the cloud is still a solution and there's a lot of ways to do all this work on the cloud it's just that all the literature out there all the blog posts don't really use the cloud they show you how to do it on your local machine and that's you know just because we're in the early days. I think I say that every time we talk about machine learning. We're in the early days. And that's that's the only reason. But isn't that kind of depressing? The external GPU was slower than the internal. That makes me sad because mm-hmm. how much did you spend on it? Go be, Let's admit not it. talk about that. Admit it, $500 nope. to $10,000. Nope. So Let's go with five hundred. I'm, I'm, inter- <laughs> I'm interested. I'm going to go to Apple. Could you, can, where, did you, where did you buy it from, I guess? Apple? Well, I actually already had a video card hanging around. So I had an ATI RX 580. And that is a card that Apple recommends that you use for an eGPU because it's uh, supported by Metal, uh, Apple's low-level API. And uh, the neural network library I use is called Plaid ML, P-L-A-I-D-M-L, for anyone who's interested. And that one's super cool because it's able to take advantage of metal on the Mac. Uh, and it turns out metal is fast. Metal is fast. <laughs> Good job, it's Apple. it's on the yeah. metal. It's on the metal. I don't know. In the past, we used OpenCL. And I did a, a head-to-head comparison. And the metal one was definitely faster. That said, though, um, lots of clouds out there. Go use them. <laughs> I think buying the hardware. I'm always nervous about the cloud because I'm always worried about like leaving a machine on and then you know having a thousand dollar bill at the end of the month. But truth is, um, spend five hundred. So what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, and and for the time yeah. that you need it, it's probably not that much. If it if you're going to be able to crunch this code in you know seconds compared to minutes. But so now, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just something, um, like I was saying, there's a lot of knobs that you turn while you're training it. And that's the stuff that you can actually parallelize nicely because you just, if I have four variations of parameter I want to try, you run all four of those all at once on four different machines. So that's actually how you parallelize. Otherwise, training networks isn't actually very easy to parallelize. So it's really just tuning those knobs that you do all that for. Got it. Got it. Now you've tuned all the knobs. You've got the core mm-hmm. ML. You're putting it into your app. It's all integrated. It's all nice. Like, does it work? Like, I mean, you're shipping it. So, I mean, it has to be amazing. What was your validation? <laughs> you know, like, how do you even validate this to know that it's because you can obviously get a prediction model, I guess, an accuracy rating out of it. But I think yeah. that's only to some extent because we're coders. And I think a, a number of, oh, it's 90% or 80%. Like I, I'm actually coding. So like, how did it actually work in real life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's an endless debate too. It's like, what does 67% accuracy mean? Like, you know, someone said you have a 67% chance of winning the lottery. That's like <laughs> a certainty in my mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. So what does it actually mean? Um, so how did it feel? Well, my customers will tell me, <laughs> 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 but um, already it's better than what I had there before. 
So what I had there before was I scanned a bunch of C-sharp code, looked at um, the most common characters people typed, and put a static list of all those keys as like a little keyboard extra area. Mm. And that thing was terrible. I, in the end, I had to list a million keys because it turns out we use a million keys in C-sharp. But already, um, this neural network doesn't output just its best guess. It's second best guess, it's third best guess. So I show... I show like the top seven, top 10 best guesses. And almost always what you want is in that list. So I've actually been pretty happy with it. Now, ideally, I would like to show one or two items. So that's where I would like to get to. But overall, I've actually been pretty pleased with it. Hmm. Yeah. And then you can actually, you can sort them based on the accuracy. So if you get five things that come out of it, you would put the highest accuracy or pr- prediction percentage first. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. So I'm just yep, uh, ordering them from... And uh, Apple does this too, but they only show you the top two, I think, when you're like uh, typing a text message or something. You see all those like uh, r- write about yourself using only the predictive text. I kind of want to see that for C-sharp code. <laughs> you know, write me a program only using the predictive text. Oh, that would be pretty nifty. Well, you know what, too? Are you doing anything to validate this on the user and i know you just added some crash reporting and analytics but what i would be curious of is given that user a was presented with three options which one did they pick like what you know uh smart smart feedback yeah it's a program manager mine right there man that analytics (laughs) getting in there uh, and that's what that uh, the Microsoft Image one does so well. The one that we always talk about, and I'm totally blanking on its name. Custom what's the easy one AI. that we use? Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, that's what's so cool about that is they close the loop where you can like, it, yeah, you can label them after someone misses them or something like that. I don't have that, but that's genius. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I will definitely add it to the analytics. Um, pulling the data back out is a little tricky. What I think I'm going to do next, though, is. Um, give it a little more context, just give it a little bit more data. I was being so conservative with it before that I thought it would be a great idea to actually give it a little more data and see how it does, see if I can get above 67% accuracy. Nice, nice. Well, if you need more beta testers, let me know because I do definitely code a little bit different than you. Uh, and I would definitely <laughs> like to help out. I, I think it's a really cool project. Um, uh, I have the beta on my iPad. I'm going to be testing it all this week and I'll give you some feedback uh, already. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope, um, waxing poetic for a moment, I I do hope that it's not a bubble and we can start putting fancy features like this in all our apps. Just start thinking about like, what data sources do you have that are not biased, (laughs) that are legally, that you're legally allowed to use, and uh, all the funny little things you can predict off of it. I think there's a lot of opportunities. And I'm glad I finally got a neural network out there. I'm hoping I'll have more. <laughs> After all this time, you finally did it. Congratulations. Where, when, where's the ship to neural network bell? Ding. Uh, that's once a year bell, I think, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Sure, we still got, we got lots of bells and that's all that matters, Frank. Okay, great. Awesome. All right. <laughs> so are you going to do it? Uh, no. You're not going to do it? No. 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 Well, okay. so here's well, that was quick. <laughs> here's here's where it's at right now. You have a little Karas in there. You got some Python in there. I'm not I'm not quite there yet. I think you know I'm I'm intrigued. Maybe I might try out some ML.net. See where that goes in a few months or whatever when they ship some more versions. I would like to be able to build my models in C sharp, export everything, and kind of build up. 
I think it's going to get there. I think it's inspirational and it gives me some ideas, but I don't know if I'm ready to commit yet. Okay. So now I got to port everything to ML.net. Got it. Yep. Then I'll get you. Then I'll have you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, Frank. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's merge conflict. I do want to say something, Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, What's that? You know, that I'm starting up something. It's got something new. Uh-oh. Do we have an announcement? Uh, no, this is a big no, no, it's not an announcement. I tweeted this out oh. a while ago, but I am starting a <laughs> newsletter. I think I subscribed. Is it any good? Well, there's no epi- issues out yet, but by the time that <laughs> this episode will come out, episode or issue one will be out. It's a monthly ish. Uh, I might do you know, every three weeks, every, you know, whenever, but at least once a month newsletter. And it's very, it's going to be very different. So there is going to be a little bit of coding, but it's not really a development newsletter. There's lots of development newsletters, but it's going to be kind of James. It's going to be James in email form. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. to be able to speak more uh, closely or d- more direct to uh, people that follow me or that I interact with or have in the past. So I'm really excited about it. I'll put a link in the show note. It's just montemagno.com slash subscribe. You can just you know go to montemagno.com. That's my blog. And you can sign up. And what's really cool is that this motivated me further to get a full privacy policy on my website um, <laughs> to you know really guarantee that I'll never sell, never spam, never do anything. Um, and update everything. So I have a full privacy policy, everything like that on there. Um, give it give it a look. Uh, I hope that people subscribe. I have a lot of people already. I'm really excited about it. And I have been putting a lot of energy into the first issue. Uh, and I want people to, to, to think of what a newsletter could be. And, and hopefully other people based off this newsletter will create some new ones. Because I think there's so many people that we follow that I, things get lost in Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and it'd be cool to kind of bring it back together. So anyways, I hope that if you like hearing from me that you might give my newsletter a try and um, you know, go check out at least the first issue because that'll already be out. You don't, you can see see back issues even if you're not subscribed. So there's that, yeah. Well, you have me completely intrigued not being a tech one. Well, I am going to be a little sad that you're not going to give like stock predictions for Microsoft or something like that. I'm going to totally miss that. But totally curious to see how coffee and biking make it in. Yeah. We'll see. I'm really, I, I'm see what topics you come up with. Yes. I'm excited. Yes. Well, you know, if you like us here at Merge Conflict, then feel free to follow us. Uh, at Merge Conflict FM is the podcast. At James Montemagno, at Proclarum are our Twitter accounts. You can go to mergeconflict.fm to look at all of the back episodes of Merge Conflict. Feel free to rate, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, subscribe all of your friends or tell a friend. If you have one thing this week, you're like, man, it's August. What should I do this week? Go tell a friend about our podcast. We would love it. So until next time, there's been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.